0: All right, 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to be uh, going to a couple of different places, Eh, and I lied, only like two, maybe three, four, I don't know, but uh, but we'll see what happens. Let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Sorry, Gil, I leaned forward. I know uh, my voice changed. I repent, and uh, let's pray. Most Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this evening that you've given us, Lord, this opportunity to get into your word, and I pray, God, that you speak to us all through it. Lord, I know that, uh, especially in this chapter concerning the way that you speak and to whom you speak, Lord, that we would be, you know, present tonight, that we wouldn't just be going through the motions, uh, Lord, that we would uh, place ourselves in the text and consider what you might be saying to us specifically and individually. And Lord, I praise you, God, because you always do just that. You always do desire to leave us with something, to impart something to us, to uh, have us walk out of here having you know, seen you and been ministered to by you. Lord, so for that, we praise you, God, and we give all the glory back to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 So, we're going to be continuing through 1 Samuel uh in chapter 3 and we left off with this heavy word of judgment in chapter 2, you know, against the the house of Eli. You know, and this this prophet comes on the scene. He says, "Eli, your house is a mess. You, your kids are a disaster. They're bringing shame to the Lord, and now judgment is it's coming." And this this great warning uh is left. At his at his doorstep you know to to correct his children and uh, he he hears it he acknowledges it uh, he receives it, and he does absolutely nothing about it so we continue in chapter three uh, with uh, this this idea of eminent judgment All right so it should be fun right a message starts off with with eminent judgment right that's a that's just super. So we're reading verse one, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare and uh, there were not many visions. So the word was rare. It was precious and uncommon. And, and it leads you to ask this question of, of why, right? Why was the word of the Lord rare? And I'm sure there were a lot of reasons for it, uh, why the, the, the word becomes rare in, in, in this time or in our time. Um, but uh, the most common reason, I think, is, is the very reason pictured here. And, and it's confirmed in this passage and, and warned uh, about in, in the book of Romans. And if you're quick with your fingers, you can turn there to Romans chapter 10. And it's in verse 14. We see a confirmation of this of this warning romans ten fourteen and fifteen and says, "How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news?" And often the word of God becomes rare in a region uh, because we, right, his his priests decide to stop preaching it, right, and it just becomes scarce and uncommon. Uh, the word of God was rare in Samuel's time because his the the priests Eli's children uh, were much more concerned about themselves. And their own lives and their own uh, lusts and and their and their bellies than they were about their Lord, and uh, on a small scale this can happen to us in our various circles of influence, right? When we, when, when our focus shifts, right? And our feet are still moving swiftly, right? But they're moving swiftly uh, to to go shopping. Right? And they're moving swiftly uh, to talk to people about our favorite musician, and, and they're moving swiftly to do so many things. Right? We're moving swiftly to, to, to go to work, and we're moving swiftly to, uh, to, to hang out with our friends. And, 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 but we're not moving swiftly right to have this rare conversation this beautiful necessary conversation and the consequences of the word of the lord becoming rare are dramatic right um, they, they 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 amount to this great and vast volume of missed opportunities and, and all of these things uh, are 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 good things right that that we've run swiftly into maybe according to Romans chapter 10 it, it's it's not a bad thing to run swiftly into a conversation with a friend concerning your favorite musician right and, and and you might like to talk about that you might you know sit down with your friends and and you've nothing to say for an hour except that which is concerning uh, Johnny Cash and i salute you because he is a delight he is a pure delight right but while those things uh, are, are are entertaining right right they're not necessarily enlightening and while those those things uh might 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 be enjoyable they're certainly not essential and and I challenge you I challenge you to consider your conversations uh, and 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 I've and I've taken such stock of it this week and been so disappointed in myself of how rare the word of the lord is in my conversation and thusly how, how rare the word of the Lord becomes in my, my sphere of influence. And did you have a question, Beth? (laughs) Oh, you looked, you looked concerned and I felt bad. So, so, but there's a dual nature to this, right? There's a dual nature because the word of the Lord can become rare and it can be our fault. Right, it can be our fault, but in the second part it says there were not many visions. Well, that comes from God, right? So that's not my fault, right? So the word of the Lord becoming rare has nothing to do, uh, maybe, uh, with there not being any visions. And I would say, well, I'm not to blame for that. That is God's fault. Um, but God, but and maybe we should phrase it as a question. But why would God? give a vision, right, this precious pearl, this insight, this revelation into who he is and, and what he does, uh, why would he give that to someone who will do absolutely nothing with it, who will allow that, that rare vision to remain rare because it's not present in, in our conversation, Right, and and we know from his word because we saw it in Matthew when Sam went through Matthew that he is in the habit of not casting pearls before swine. Right, and it's harsh and it's heavy uh, to consider ourselves in doing something so small and not necessarily sinful as uh, swineful. <laughs> you know, and and Mary uh, will probably light. Uh, you know, burst into flames for me, saying swineful. But but it's 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 of that nature. It's of that vein that you would consider that Christ would look upon us and say, I'm not going to give you a vision because I know what you're going to do with that vision. And it's this. It's absolutely nothing, right? And and I'm not going to cast pearls before swine. And and we think, well, that isn't fair. God should speak for maybe no other reason uh, than to make. Them aware of their sin. Right? Doesn't God feel a great burden of responsibility for these people? Well, they're not doing anything with the Lord, and God needs to speak, God needs to give vision because they need to know. But right, hasn't God already spoken? Well, He just did speak through a prophet. And, and he has spoken to us quite a bit, though we do nothing with it. Right? So God, God has spoken. Right, and what has he said? On the last chapter, it was this warning of judgment that is coming. Right, it's this. Uh, he had an awful lot to say uh, concerning the, the fact that that uh, that there's sin in the camp, and that we're neglecting it, that we're ignoring it, that we're dismissing it. But this is what God. Uh, Show is right here that he won't do when he speaks is that he won't nag us. Right? He's not going to 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 belabor the point and 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 beat us to death with with vision and with his word. And and he simply says, if you don't want to do anything with it, then you don't have to do anything with it. But I'm not going to poke and prod you. I'm not going to constantly nag you. You know, it's amazing working uh, with with children. I've been. Doing it for for some years now, and, and you encounter all kinds of different parents uh, when you when you work with children, and you know you see these parents that come in, and and their children are just doing just terrible, just awful things, right? And, and I would be, I, I would I, I would be dead, right, if I was doing some of those things. I mean, my mom, uh, she would look at me, and I would be no more, before she would have snatched away my spirit, and and some of these moms, they come in, and they're just like, oh, you know stop. You know, and and they're just, you know, it's you know, knock it off. You know, but there it's constantly there it's, it's there's there's no correction, right? There's no follow through. There's there's nothing there to, to to show that there's a line. And when you cross that line there are consequences. And and I work with this three year old and I'm tutoring a three year old. And you should not tutor a three year old, right? Three year olds they should just be, you know, coloring and and you know, playing with bubbles or whatever three year olds do i don 't know what three year olds do you know, but I mean they, they shouldn 't be in a tutoring center, you know learning like blending, segmenting, and phony manipulation because they just hate you when you try and make them do that and i'm i 'm working with this three year old and I have him outside, and I have this giant uh, magnetic board, and it 's got all these little magnet letters on it, and so it 's fun. I thought that it would be fun uh, for a three year old and so, and he's on his trampoline and the idea is to get him to say a phoneme with every bounce, right? So you develop this rhythmic sense of blending uh, sounds together for words and and, and he began to really uh, enjoy it, right? And And that was a good thing, but eventually we needed to stop that and he didn't want to stop it. <laughs> And he's three, so he doesn't just, you know, uh, intellectually articulate his ideas concerning, you know, the magnet board. He just uh, grabbed all of the magnetic letters on the board and he pulled them down to the bottom. And there's just dozens of of letters and numbers on this thing. And so I'm holding it and I'm like, "We got to go back inside, all right?" So let go of the letters. And and he goes, "No!" And he smashes them all off the board, and they just go flying everywhere on the ground outside. And so I look at the three-year-old and I say. Uh, well, you know, now you got to pick up all these letters, and he looks at me, and he goes, "No, I don't," and, and then what do you do, right? I, I. I, I... Absolutely no power and authority in the situation. So I go, "Um, uh, you know, don't, you know, just like a normal parent would that comes into the center constantly with their defiant children. Oh, little, you scrappy little thing, you. Okay, I guess I'll do it all for you. And so I start picking up all the letters and uh, I got them all back on the board and I grab the board and I start walking into the center and I go, okay, well, we need to get back in and we need to get to work. And he says, no. And he takes off through the gate, running into the street a three year old running into the street. It's not as if it's a busy street out there, but it's still, I mean, he's running out into the street. So I go chasing after him, I'm begging and I'm pleading and I'm saying, please just come back. Just we gotta go inside, and I I take him by his little his, his three year old hand, and and I'm I'm taking him back, and I'm saying you know we, we got to we gotta do things. I'm sorry, and he's like no I don't want to do anything, and, and and I'm just I'm please I'll give you whatever you want when we get in there. Just just please get in there. And so I'm pulling him back, and we finally get inside, and I sit him down, and I say okay, so now we're gonna read, and he says no right and and he gets up and he starts running around the center and knocking stuff down just then his mom comes into the center right his mom comes in and and how how good do i feel about myself and my job when his mom walks into the center and sees that you know and and but, but she but she says well you know how how did how did he do and normally i manipulate the truth you know when i'm confronted with a question like that uh, when, you know, it's a parent and, and this kid has just been terrible. But uh, there was none of that. I, I just looked at the mom and I said, he had a terrible day. I mean, this kid first, right, he trashed my magnet board. I just like magnets everywhere. Dozens of them. Didn't want to pick them up. I had to pick them up. Second, he ran out into the street. I mean, I had to go chasing after this kid, ran through two gates to get to the street. And and he was – when I finally got him back, he wouldn't read Reading is the whole idea of what we're doing here, right? That's the whole point, and he just refuses to do it, right? And most parents, uh, they would say, oh, now, you know, you know, little, little Jimmy, let's say. That's not his name. I'm not going to give you his name. And they said, you know, little Jimmy, you got to just, you know, just, oh, you know, he's fine, you know, but, you know, try. Try better and, you know, keep on, you know, you'll be fine. You know, but, but she looked at me and she said, did you try hitting him? And that's really, that was it. That was what she told me. And she looked at me, she was completely serious, and she says, did you try hitting him? And I was blown away. I did not expect that at all from a parent, especially in our day. Right, and there's no way that I could ever do that. I mean a three year old, I don't care how defined he is, I'm not gonna grab the kid and throw him over my knee and just start wailing on him or something. <laughs> you know, but 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 that was her advice. She said, Did you try hitting it? did you try hitting him? And and, 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 and and I looked over at the little guy, and there was this serious, somber look that came across his face when he realized that the party was over. Right? And he realized that that what he was doing was wrong that he was caught and that there were consequences. That his parent wasn't the kind of parent that would just look the other way and continuously say, oh, well, you know what? They're just doing what they do and that's what they do and that's okay, right? But that's exactly what God is saying to his children here. He's saying, listen, I see what you're doing and it's wrong. And now there are consequences that are going to come, right? Eli's children were were exactly like that little boy. They were uh, dismissive. They were defiant, and they were very difficult. And God says, I'm going to pull out the paddle, and judgment is coming. And uh, you know what you should be doing, and you're not doing it. Thus the word is rare. The visions are no more. I'm not going to go throwing pearls continuously before you. I I need to confront you. And that's exactly what he's going to do here. And it's illustrated perfectly in this text, beginning in verse 2, because God is going to confront Eli's children that, that are continuously slumbering in their sin, right? And, and now we have uh, the, the story of a, a child, you know, Samuel as a child, who is very literally slumbering. And yet God speaks, and he exemplifies the reaction that is proper when God speaks, he exemplifies this 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 perfect posture to God as he speaks, which is immediate and obedient. So uh, we're gonna continue here in verse two. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place, and the lamp of God was not yet gone out. So it means that it was dark outside; it was night. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the Ark of God was. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel answered, Lord called to Samuel, I'm sorry. And Samuel answered, here I am. Um, Now, a few years ago, on a, a few years ago on a Sunday, we had uh, a big Mexican family gathering. We used to have on my Mexican side, family gatherings nearly every week. And uh, my white side never get together. They don't talk to each other. My Mexican side love each other, right? And so we get together and we talk, and uh, everyone everyone's there and everyone's you know being loud and crazy and they're having a good time. And my brother, he 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 was going to church at this time, and he looks across the table and and I'm across the table and and we're halfway through dessert, and uh, he says to me and he's talking directly to me, but but my brother has no he he has no vocal restraint. Right, so he's just continuously shouting. That's that's the way he always talks, um, and, and so he he looks at me and he says, you know, I don't think I'm going to go back to that church that I go to anymore. And so, of course, when you say something like that at family gathering, everyone's like, mm. you know, and and he's going to this huge church, right, in, in Fontana, and I think I think it's Water Life or something like that. But it's a good church out there, and right, there's lots of good people go there. It's a good place. And, uh, and so I was, and he seemed to be loving it, uh, but, but this is what he says. He's like, I don't think I'm going to go to that church anymore. The preacher there is arrogant. And I'm like, oh. and so I mean, the people that missed the church part, they caught the arrogant part, and everyone's hooked by this point. And, uh, and he goes, he gets up in front of the church today, and he says that he's not going to do the message that he had planned because God spoke to him and told him to teach on something else. So he did some special message that God spoke to him. How, I mean, just unbelievable how these arrogant Christians that they think that God can just speak to them. And he's looking at me, and he's like, huh, it's absurd, isn't it? Isn't it? Absurd. The arrogance, you know, church and and all this and 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 he looks at me and everyone's looking at me and I'm the I'm the Bible college kid and and I'm the I'm I'm the preacher and I'm the hard and fast believer and 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 you know he's he's you know and everyone you know is like well this is this is weird and this is unusual and this is unbelievable and how could anyone be so you know full of themselves to think that God would speak to them and 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 I just remember looking at him going there's Absolutely nothing absurd about that. I mean, if you read the Bible, God speaks to people on every page of it i, I mean th- there should be nothing unusual about that i, I if if you if you 're reading this and if, and if you 're having the reaction of my brother had which is apparently the reaction of the that my entire Mexican family had that, that thinks that something like this is just unheard of and absurd and unnatural and and anathema let it never be God would never speak to you because who are you to be spoken to by God God is speaking right here God spoke on the last page God will speak on the next page that's what God does God Speaks to us, and he speaks often. And that's not to say that, that God necessarily speaks audibly, but he speaks often. And, and maybe that's what my brother assumed—that that the preacher was there alone in his study. And then all of a sudden, it was like, you know, Tom, and he was like, "Oh!" And there was this audible voice. And maybe that's what you think of when you read this passage, right? And it doesn't it doesn't have to be audibly, but 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 the, there's this there's this impression, and it's perfectly illustrated. Uh, in, in Matthew 16, right, uh, I was reading David Guzik's commentary on this passage, just brilliant. And he pulls out this insight from Matthew chapter 16, um, because this is the way that God speaks. And Matthew 16 pictures it perfectly, right? And it's this moment between Jesus and Peter. And, and Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am, right? And what does Peter say? Peter says, you know, a lot of people got different ideas about you, Jesus. Yeah, you know, thinking that you're John the Baptist, you're Isaiah, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the other prophets. And Jesus, you know, nails Peter and he says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are Christ, Son of the living God. And and Jesus says, What? What does he say? He says, Right. Yeah. He says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter, right? That's what he's saying there. Flesh and blood didn't tell you this, right? It, no man spoke this to you. God revealed this to you. God spoke this to you. And there's nothing dramatic that happened there. I mean, none of the other uh, disciples were standing next to Peter and and the heavens were torn asunder. And there was this booming voice, you know, uh, that that said, you know, he is... He is Christ, son of the living God. Say this, Peter, I'm talking to you. This is what it looks like when I talk to you. Say this, right? That that didn't happen. That just, that wasn't a part of the narrative. It was this impression upon his heart, right? And that, that impression came out of his mouth and Jesus pinpointed the origin of that impression. He said, this was something that God spoke to you. And this is the way that God speaks to us very often. And you'll see a moment later in that story, which is very interesting, that, that something else happens. Jesus begins to talk about how he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed over. He's going to be crucified and murdered. And he knows about it and he's going to let it happen. And then how does Peter react to that one? All right? Yeah. He goes, let it never be. Let it not be so. Don't do it. And then what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. Now, was there like a little puff of smoke and the devil appeared behind, you know, Peter? And he was like, say this, Peter, because I'm the devil and this is how I speak to people. No, right? He didn't say that and nothing like that happened. It wasn't that dramatic, but there was this impression upon his heart and it came out of his mouth and Jesus pinpointed the origin of that impression. So in, in the span of only a few verses, Peter was, was the recipient of both uh, God you know, speaking to him and uh, the devil speaking to him. In one moment, it was the impression upon his heart that came right from the throne of God. In the next minute, it was the impression upon his heart that came right from the pit of hell. And, and here's the reality. Right, that I think we try to ignore, and that my brother had dismissed categorically. It's that God is always speaking, and and so is the devil, and so are we. Right, there are always voices, and and I'm, I'm not schizophrenic, and I'm I'm not insane. It's just always a part of our reality. That's we are always being spoken to, and it's never something that's odd and dramatic. It's usually something that's very subtle and organic, right? That you would think that this thing just popped into your head and it came out of your mouth the same way that that it came out of Peter's mouth both times. It's an impression that prompts a reaction when we're being spoken to. But it is up to us to test and determine the statement's origin. <laughs> you know, in Bible College, we had a, uh, a coffee shop. Uh, there was a little, like, you know, Calvary coffee shop there on campus. And I never set foot in that coffee shop because uh, it was a den of thieves. It was, it was uh, abominable what was happening in that place. And and most of it was because of this very thing that we're talking about here. It was the manipulation of the subtle voice of God. And ladies that went to this coffee shop were like wounded gazelles you know sipping coffee. And men that went to this coffee shop were like ferocious lions preparing to pounce. You know, and, and and I would I would hear these stories come back to me, you know, and 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 most of the time they were my roommates perpetrating these ills. Uh, and 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 one of them specifically. We had two Ryan's in the room. This was Bad Ryan. Bad Ryan, he had this he had this uh, tactic that he would always uh, you know, uh, employ whenever he went to the Calvary Coffee Shop there, and 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 he would approach a young lady sitting there doing her homework at her table, sipping her latte or whatever it is that she was drinking, and and he would uh, say, you know, I was in the corner, and I was meditating upon the Word of God, and I was I was just considering the weight of His sacrifice and the atonement that we share together as brother and sister, and the Lord directed me by his spirit to Genesis chapter 2, and and he spoke to my heart, and he said, it's not right for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But in the moment where God says in that text, I will make a helper suitable for him, the impression that God placed on my heart, the small voice that he lovingly whispered in my ear was, I have made a helper suitable for you. And she's there before you. And I opened my eyes, my eyes, which had been so steadfastly focused on the face of God, and there she was. There you are. By the way, my name is Bad Ryan. <laughs> and that was and that was how he made his introduction. That was how he started this conversation. And it's a manipulation of how God speaks. And as the semesters went on, the you know, the pressure always mounted to find your mate before you escape back into the real world and 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 at that coffee shop and you can ask her most of you know who Samantha Flores is we went to Bible college at the same time and and there was this one day when just out of sheer desperation and 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 just blatant disregard for the, the word of God and for the honor of God and how he speaks to a human being uh, this one young man approached Sam and he said God said we need to get married and that was the first time he had ever spoken to her the very moment that he proposed to her All right that's 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 insane to me right but that's that was that was it and this is this is a lot of times this is what people do right they have their own angle and agenda and they wrap god into it to make it sound spiritual and important and essential and and and, and i'm not sure that we need to say that the that the devil put that in their heart and whispered that into their ear, as, as, you know, is the case with Peter. But that was probably just them doing that, right? That just probably came from their own heart. So for all these things, all these impressions upon our hearts, all these moments where we feel, you know, God is speaking to us, he's, he's directing us, he's leading us, we need to be able to test the origin. So how do we do that? How do we figure out if this is from God or if this is from something else? And there are essentially three uh, simple tests that you can run it through, right? You can test that impression by God's word. So does this thing line up with the other things that God has said in his word, right? And that's a good test, right? You can test it by the consistency of the revelation. That's the one we're going to see in this passage. So we'll talk more about that later. And then the last one is you can test it according to God's character. Does this seem like the type of thing that God would do? Right? So does it go against something I know in the Bible? Is it consistent in and of itself? And, uh, and does it align with his character? And... Uh, and, and we can run it through any number of tests, right? You can think of uh, some of the, the classic crazy examples of people saying, well, God told me to blow up an abortion clinic, right? And that's one of the things that gets credited to God. Now, would God say that? Let's put it through the first test. Does that align with what we know about God and his word, right? Would God say you need to blow up an abortion clinic? Well, Romans 13, right, is is pretty pretty specific about you know, uh, honoring the government and governing authorities. So that's definitely in uh, in conflict with that. And, and then you're harming other people by doing that. So that definitely goes against the character of God, right? Shown in Exodus 20, 1 John 4, all kinds of other passages. You can basically run the gamut of it. So uh, now this is where it gets a little bit more linear and specific to our test. Because God isn't just speaking to anybody and everybody. God is speaking directly to Samuel. So we can look at the way that it works out with Samuel. And we find out that Samuel employs a very effective test to investigate the origin of this revelation. And it continues in verse five. And he ran to Eli and he said, here I am, you called me. I want you to do whatever you do. I don't know, underline that verse, highlight that verse. That's an important verse, right? So he goes to Eli and he says, here I am, you called me. Eli said, I didn't call you, right? Go back and lie down. And so he went and lay down. And again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli. He said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back, lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. Samuel got up, went to Eli, said, here I am, you called me. And Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And so Eli told Samuel, go, lie down. And if he calls you again, you know, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, right? So you see... There's a very important test applied here. And this is, this is the, the, the most simple of all the tests. And yet this is the most ignored of all the tests. Uh, he thought that Eli called him. So what did he do? <clears throat> he went and he asked Eli if Eli called him. And that is, you have to be about that smart to, to teach Bible study right? Because he he goes, well, you know, Samuel. And he goes, okay, that was Eli. So he goes to Eli and he goes, what do you want? What do you want, Eli? Because you just called me. And Eli says, I don't want anything from you because I didn't call you. Now, as common sense as we would consider this to be, uh, if more Christians actually did this, with God when they feel an impression upon their heart from God, then God wouldn't be credited to half of the things that we attach to him, right? Because there are so many things that we have this flash initial impression about. And we think, oh, that was from God, I'll go do that, right? And maybe, maybe in between you doing something insane and me doing something that would change my life and, and, and set me on a different course, maybe, it would be a good idea to go back to God and say, hey, God, was that you? Did you just call me? And, and, if, and if it isn't, then God could very easily say, you know, to you or to me what Eli said to Samuel. He'd say, no, go back to bed right before you go out there and you do something absurd, Right, and I had so many uh, young men and young women in my room in Bible college, and 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 you know, and youth groups, and all this, and they they'd be like, uh, well, I think God is telling me that I need to I need to marry her. It's like, well, uh, you know, uh, well, there are a couple of things, right? First, you should probably talk to her at some point, and second, and second, you should talk to God and And you should you know sit before God and, and say, "God, you know uh, is this is this really from you and then God could very easily just say, "No, why why would you her what no, why would you do that um, and and then you can be redirected? You know, I have this this friend on on Facebook and and it's no one in this room, so no one needs to feel insecure and he has a different he has a different career prospect every day and he believes that it's from God and, and I'm just constantly thinking, well, why don't you just go and talk to God because you have all these different ideas of what you want to do they're good things, they're great things. none of them are being accomplished because you're not pursuing God in those things. Well now here's the flip side of it if it really is God speaking. Well, how much more could God say to you about any of those things, right? He might not say, no, go back to sleep. Get out of here before you get yourself carried away. He could say, yes, that is what I'm speaking to you. And here's a multitude of other insights about that thing to move forward upon, right? And God's very practical and pragmatic in the way that he works, all right? So uh, th- this is the first and the most easy thing to consider, to lay the matter before God, to, to, uh, to maybe empty yourself of all preconceived notions and say, here I am, now do with me as you please. And uh, that's exactly what Samuel does. So now the question shifts from who is speaking to to whom is God speaking? And who is the, who's the guy? It's Samuel. And who is Samuel? Samuel. Is he the high priest of Israel? No, is he a missionary that's left it all at the door to serve God in a far off land? Is he a diligent church attendee consistently here every Sunday and Thursday? He is a kid that doesn't even know God. That's what this passage says. He is someone that doesn't yet have a personal relationship with God. Doesn't know the word and has no knowledge of him. And yet God is speaking directly to him. And uh, here you have said before you, what I believe is maybe one of the most beautifully picturesque uh, passages concerning how we are saved, how a young man, how a young woman is saved. And there, while in the dark, both literally and figuratively in the darkness of his of his life, the Lord is reaching out to him. He's calling for him in the midst of the darkness, and he hears he hears this voice. And there's probably a time in your life that you can point to, right? That you were right there, that you found yourself in Samuel's bed, and and you sought slumber. While your heart ached inside of you. He felt burdened by a God that was personally calling to you. And his voice was powerful. And it didn't need to be audible. You, You could hear it in the depths of your soul. He was calling you. And... And here's the thing, it's not what we associate with a calling. I think that we miss the mark so often on, on what we think of when we think of a calling, right? We think of the call of God, and it's a call to a work. It's a call to a great task. It's a call from God that says, you know, uh, you, I want you to do this. And he's gonna set you off the, the same way that my boss would call on me at work and say, Michael, come into my office, I have a job for you. And I think we miss so much of the significance of who God is and how God works when we make that the call of God because that's not the call of God according to this passage. Samuel didn't know God. He knew nothing of his word. He had no knowledge of him. When God called Samuel, it wasn't a call to a work. It was a call to a relationship. He said, arise from the darkness. I want to talk to you. I want to get to know you. I want to begin a walk with you. I want to begin this conversation that will lead into an abiding relationship with you. We underestimate the work that God can do without us until we read passages like this and we play it out in our own memories. God does amazing things that don't have our fingerprints on it at all, right? And, and you know, I remember late nights before any human had reached out to me, <clears throat> when I knew nothing of his word, when I had absolutely no knowledge of him, that there was this constant ache upon my heart this call that I couldn't pinpoint and it was a call to 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 a connection to something that made sense because it felt like it was just within my grasp to get a hold of this thing that would make a world that was altogether chaotic simplistic and and it felt personal and specific and it Probed my soul before I ever met any man. And you know what? The word of God was rare in my day. The word of God is rare in our day. Right? There are plenty of people that are out there just like me, right? That 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 are aching and that are wanting. And you know what? Just as we underestimate. God's ability to work without us, we underestimate how ready and receptive most people are to his word when we categorically move it from that which is rare to that which is available and accessible. Right, he was he was wanting to receive it. Here was a boy that was in the temple, he's sleeping in the temple. Here was a boy that was actually serving God before he even knew God and 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 i uh, for for seven years walked away from god and, and 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 outwardly maybe you you would think it wanted to have nothing to do with God and inwardly sought God with every bit of my being because God was constantly seeking me, God was constantly talking to me the same way that God constantly communicates with so many that are not yet his own children. And all it takes is for us to reach out to them. And that's exactly what Eli does. And to his credit, that's the best thing he could do. He says, this is the Lord. You want to put a face on that one that is reaching out to you in the quiet mornings of the night? Right In those those glimmering waking hours. It's God. This is God. And let me tell you who this God is. Let me tell you how you need to respond to this God. Eli does that for Samuel. And now Samuel readies himself for his next moment of communication with this God. In verse 10, the Lord came and stood there, calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And now he's going to talk to the Lord and it's going to be quite a conversation. So we'll begin that one in verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. And at that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Heavy, heavy text. Eli is judged for not restraining his sons. And a verse like this can do, uh, er, er, uh, let me rephrase that, a verse like this could cause many good parents a great deal of undue stress. Uh, I remember, and, and I know we're, we're starting to inch our way towards the end, and, and I should probably limit the amount of stories that I tell, but I can't help myself. And I remember being in Germany, and there was, there was a, a preacher that came to speak at the school and he said that he actually left the ministry for a number of years because of this text in conjunction with the text from 1 Timothy <clears throat> and it was this text about uh, you know father's not restraining their children and then overseers uh, being blameless in the sight of God right and and he he felt burdened with this this heavy weight of guilt for his children right now i'm sure that there isn't a parent here that wouldn't take the judgment of their child upon themselves but that's not what this passage is about right this passage is about something much heavier this is a parent being judged for their child right and and it's and, and that's different Right? So you're not taking their punishment. You're being punished because of them and along with them. And this is a heavy thing to consider. right? And, and, he, and he took this passage, that pastor, and he said, I, I have no place in the ministry because I'm a man that is under God's inevitable judgment. Because my children, they're, they're living lives of blatant sin and disregard for God. And they've run wild and now I am the one that will pay for their wiles. Right, but is that right? And more importantly, is that what this text is talking about? Who were Eli's sons? Were they just a couple of knuckleheads that were out there in the world doing their own thing? No, what were they? They were priests. Right? They were priests of Israel and their father was a priest over them when... When God asked Eli to restrain his sons or or face judgment, he was asking Eli to correct priests that were falsely representing God to his people. Because Eli didn't seek to represent God in holiness, and he didn't seek to correct his priests to represent God in holiness, God said, judgment is Inevitable because you brought shame to my name. His judgment had very little to do with Eli the father, and a lot to do with Eli the overseer. Right? It would be like if I was living a life of blatant sin, and Sam knew about it, right? And and he was perfectly aware of it, and and he did absolutely nothing about it. He he should feel impressed, you know, or. or by the Lord to to come to me and say, you know what, you're you're in sin. You, you need to step down. You can't be up in front of everyone serving the Lord in this very uh, visible, you know, uh, sense. And and you gotta you gotta you gotta take care of this. You know, this is a mess. You're misrepresenting God. You're bringing shame to His name. If if he just if he knew all that and if he just shied away from it and said, oh well, you know, I don't really care for conflict right then then God then then God lumps him in with my guilt because he's aware of it and he's allowing it to uh, to be put on display in front of the people you know the priest shows the people how to live for God, and I hate that right because I I'm, I'm certainly not a priest um, but uh, well I guess in a sense we're we're all priests we're a kingdom of priests, but you know the the person that sits up there and, and talks about God and represents him to one degree or another every moment is is a is a sermon right and people are constantly listening uh to how you are preaching and Eli's sons were continuously preaching a a sermon of the acceptance of sin and of hypocrisy and of complacency in the ministry. And, and and Eli, with every dismissive glance that he gave to his children, uh, allowing it to continue, God credited guilt to his account. And now judgment was sealed, and it's inevitable. And uh, thus we continue in verse 15. Samuel lay down until morning, And then opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, Samuel answered, here I am. And what was it? He said to you, Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely. If you hide from me anything, he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. So Samuel didn't sleep, and Eli didn't sleep either, no doubt knowing that whatever God had to say to Samuel, uh, it was going to be of special importance to him. He knew that, that God had already brought a word of judgment against him, so he said, tell me what God told you I need to know. And there's something wonderful of note that happens in this passage here. <clears throat> Eli seeks a word from the Lord from a very young man, right? And and I love this as a picture for how we should respond whenever God speaks to or through anyone, right? He knows that God can speak through anyone, uh, an old man, a young man, it doesn't matter. He is willing to be taught, he has a teachable spirit. I'll never forget preaching my, my first message to a group of seasoned saints. Right, it was a group of uh, very old individuals. And um, there had never been a more divided reaction to a message. Uh, every single one of those people had an opinion that they made known to me. I mean, they, uh, no one left and was just like, and then just quietly uh, dismissed themselves. They all, uh, immediately after the message, they all rose and came at me. Like, like a like a vicious herd, and, and and it was it was surprising some of the things that they said. One uh, wonderful uh, elderly lady approached me, and she said, uh, a "Young man." The Lord is is using you, and praise God for that, and and you're so young, but you're giving his word, and that's a a wonderful thing. And it was wonderful, and it was reassuring, because, let me be honest to you, you are all very intimidating. I mean, terribly intimidating. Almost every single one of you uh, is my elder, in every sense of the word. You are all people that I feel uh, should be teaching me. Like I shouldn't be teaching you, uh, and 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 I find myself in this precarious position where where I am, and so thusly I look at you and you're all terribly intimidating, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, so but th- they were so gracious, so so many of them, but there were. Uh, you know, several that didn't respond like that woman, didn't respond like Eli. You know, you got Eli and he's coming up and 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 he looks at young Samuel, and Samuel is probably about 12 at this point. That's what Josephus says. And uh, he goes up to Samuel and he goes, oh, you know, what does God say? Just tell me. Whatever it is, I'm going to receive it from you because I know that God spoke to you. He could speak through you. I'm willing to be taught by you. Beautiful reaction. Uh, not the reaction that you always get right there were some of those elderly people that that came at me in that that united front and they they refused to believe that god could speak through someone that that didn't have a degree in theology and a number of years to add to their calendar you know it's and they, and they just you know they came up to me and they said something you know, i remember an old man saying you, you didn't preach long enough and, and another old man saying, I thought he preached too long. And then someone else said, you're loud. I don't like it. And he was loud. And I didn't like it. And but but everyone everyone had had their I mean there was one one man that, that began to argue with me on some minor point that I brought up in the message and there was nothing uh, substantial about it definitely nothing salvific about it and and but uh, arguing nonetheless. And then the, there's of course uh, the one that I shared before in a message when I first came to this church the old man that just simply came up to me and all he said was two words he just he looked me right in the eye and he said you failed and that was it that was it. That was all he said. And, and and I just remember looking at him and saying, "How how can Okay, how can one person be here and they can hear the voice of God speaking directly to them? And another person could be here in the same room and they hear the same message." And and all they have is their commentary. Uh, at the end of it, to, to, to look a young man in the face and and just say, "You failed. You're a failure. That's what you are. That's failure." And and those, there were those that were there that were willing recipients of God's word. They were ready to receive it, and so they were the ones that 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 were spoken to. But here's where it all comes full circle was God speaking that evening? And you're all going to think it's terribly arrogant if I say, well, of course he was speaking because I was preaching. But no, God is always speaking. That's just the nature of it. Right? And any time you open up his word and you have you know, a set before you or any time you're in prayer any any moment of your, your life, you can reach out to him and God will speak directly to you. And there's nothing arrogant about that. And two people could be in the same uh, room, hear the same message, and one can be spoken to and led to repentance. And the other uh, can be absolutely uh, outraged and think that it was a failure. And the fact is that God can speak through anyone Nearly anything, God can speak to you through your mother. He can speak to you through your father. He can speak to you through your children. He can speak to you through your unregenerated coworkers. Doesn't that irritate you, Christians? You're the Christian. God can speak through me through other Christians. God can speak to you through heathens. God will speak sermons through those people that you work with that don't know him. God spoke through a donkey. God spoke through a dead man. God can speak through a young man. He can speak through an old man. But we will never hear him if we aren't listening in a posture that is willing to receive from him. And that's what it's all about. And despite where you are, you can position yourself to receive a word from the Lord that will completely change the course of your life. And... I'm gonna go ahead and, and end here before we get into the next part because it's gonna take me too long to get through it. So we'll go ahead and lump this this last chunk in with chapter four next time we get to it, okay? Let me close in a word of prayer. Most gracious heavenly father, thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you, God, that you're always speaking to us. And Lord, that you have so many opportunities daily to teach us if we're just willing to be taught I pray, God, that none of us would come to you with a hard heart. Lord, feeling that we've been taught enough and we know enough and that we're good enough and that everything's fine and we don't need to hear from you because Eli was in a terrible state. He was in desperate need to hear from you. And God, even through all of this, you're constantly reaching out. You're constantly speaking. I thank you, Lord, that when we're distant from you and don't even know you, you begin to speak to us. You begin to woo us to yourself. I pray, Lord, that you would make us bold. That we would consider our conversations and and question, Lord, our our use of our time here and, and the rarity of your word in our words. And, Lord, that We would bring you into the conversation because you're essential. And Lord, people want to hear from you. Lord, you're already doing a work on them. You're already drawing them. Lord, so all we need to do is just step into the conversation as we're invited in constantly. Lord, not shy away. Lord, to, to speak of you. Lord, to put you on display for all the glory that you are. And Lord, we praise you. Thank you, Lord, for being such a good Father and such a gracious Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you.